Hi, this is Dan Williams, and you're listening to the Pocket Mentors Podcast. This is a show that could not have been created without the help of all my amazing guests. They range from brand builders to therapists, from co-founders and founders to motivational speakers, from business mentors to managing directors and CEOs running their own businesses at this time. The one thing they've all got in common is that they're all facing their own challenges. They're going through the same ups and downs that you're about to experience. So they talk about their highs and lows, the journeys that have got them from A to Z, and how they've overcome all these incredible obstacles, and they've become resilient and come out stronger. They really want to share their stories with you to help you, whether or not you're creating your own business, your own brand, or if you're currently in your own business and you're facing your own challenges at this moment in time. I really believe that this podcast can help you no matter where you currently are with your life. So sit back, get on your bike, plug in your headphones, go on your run, start your cooking, whatever it is you're about to do by listening to this podcast and enjoy. Hi Sterling, how are you doing? I'm well, thanks Dan. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Very good. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and taking part in My this. My pleasure. It's great. So, um, yeah, if you wouldn't mind, just... I've always wanted to be one of your pocket mentors, so <laughs> Thanks very much. I'm getting quite a few requests at the moment, which is, it's ace. So it's completely unexpected to be quite honest. So, yeah, it's good. No, it's good. I'm slowly finding my rhythm a little bit more. But good. Yeah, thanks again. If you don't mind just taking this back to the beginning and then just yeah. talking it through so people can really get to know you, that would be amazing. Okay. Um... I did a business studies degree a long, long, long time ago and then wanted to move into marketing. I was always fascinated by marketing and what it meant. And this was, remember, you know, many decades ago when not a lot of people, not, sorry, not, not to say not a lot of people, but not many people really understood what the nuances and what marketing was really about. But I was fascinated by it. Used to get all the magazines like Campaign and Marketing Week and Marketing and just wanting to move into that. And I managed to secure a job with a company called Kimberly Clark, who manufacture um, kitchen towels and uh, Kleenex and so on. And worked for them for a couple of years, first as a graduate trainee in their sales team and then in marketing. And then one day I saw an ad in what was then the grocer, which was, yeah. um, again, the main point for all sort of executive positions, irrespective of the sector. And it was with Revlon, and it was 50% more salary and a full Capri. Um, and I thought that would be quite nice, really. And it was a sales role, so I got that. Um, I was interviewed on the Monday before Christmas. I was interviewed on the Monday before Christmas, had a second interview on the Wednesday, and on Friday I was offered the job. And it was a sales role covering a, um, a Revlon territory. But um, in those days, people moved quickly. And it was it, and. Uh, that's that's when I started in beauty, and I, you know I've been in it ever since. And what when when you were younger then and you chose to do? Why did you choose a business degree? Were you were parents? Always, well, my, dad, my dad's had his own business, and I was always you know we grew up talking about business. Both my brother and I and my dad, um, and it, I just always fascinated by it. You know, I'm sure my mum probably would have been happy if I'd been a lawyer or a doctor, but I, I just. Um, I'm probably a frustrated creative, if you get what I mean. And I think I've just always been fascinated by, you know, creativity and, you know, the kind of under, the kind of mental leaps you have to make when you're talking about marketing and you place yourself in the consumer's shoes. You know, that, that's quite fascinating. So I've, I've always loved it. I've also always loved selling. I don't even, I find it very difficult when people say, they can't sell because I've always found it easy. And in fact, I don't sell. I just get people agreeing with me in terms of like, you know, consensual way. I'm, I'm the last, you know, the last thing I am is a hard salesperson. I could never do that. But I've, it's always been one of the, you know, successes of my career. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. It's a, I think you do get people that are more natural into that sales yeah. side and you do get the more pushy ones. I'm definitely more in your mold i think from the non-pushy yeah. side and then it does it becomes easy and you don't you know it's not pressure and you um 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's worked very well for me. And so I was at Revlon for eight and a half years um, at the time, and this shows my age, when Charlie Fragrance was the number one fragrance. Right, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, the first fragrance that ever had a woman in trousers as part of their advertising. Oh, really? And um, I mean, this was, it was the number one fragrance. And within a very short space of time at Revlon, I was offered the role of managing the, the stores in the West End. So it was like Selfridges, Harrods, huge business. Um, <clears throat> you know, our MD took a particular interest in the performance of those stores. There was weekly Monday morning meetings when you went back over um, the week's figures. It would be the first place, you know, overseas visitors from Revlon, maybe US or Europe or wherever, were going to, um, you know, to see what was happening with places like Selfridges and Harrods. And so I had an amazing education at Revlon. And while I was there, I was headhunted to join Rimmel, which had um, recently been taken over by Shearing Plough. And I, along with a whole load of other people, and other people formed a new management team with the view of changing Rimmel from a cheap and nasty brand to a brand that had value and uh, really stood for something. Yeah. And okay. I, again, I was there about nine years, um, started as their first ever national account manager and ended up as sales and distribution director where I had responsibility for the whole supply chain from order to delivery. So that was, again, that was a great learning curve because, you know, I, I, it, it taught me new things that I hadn't learned before. I hadn't. Mm -hmm. So what was the role while you were at Revlon? Was that just a, like a... Um... No, I, did, I stayed mostly in sales. Um, I, worked, I, I worked my way up to um, a whole variety of levels and then also was involved in running their premium brand, which I know has long since disappeared, called Ultima 2, right, which was okay. a beautiful uh, premium brand. Um, if, if I remember rightly, there was... Um, they also had another brand called Borghese, which was a French star-based brand, and Madame Borghese actually existed. I mean, I remember meeting her. So it was, um, yeah, a great place to work. And, you know, I've, I mean, I've, I've obviously done other things since then, which I go on about, but I consider myself lucky because I've never, ever had that awful Sunday night feeling ever since I joined the beauty industry. I loved it. You know, I, I, when I was younger and our children were going up, I would go back to work for a rest. I thought it was like a complete rest. Yeah, I can empathise with that. I don't know many people in our industry that really do dread that. There will be no, I people, think, but it's not, some, it's not an you. industry I, mean, I ever thought I'd get involved with. And um, yeah, since I've been in it, I've, I've, I've loved every minute of it and I haven't once yeah. had that, that Monday feeling. When no, I'm a, the same. But it's not, it's not the same for lots of other people in other sectors. So... You know, I count my blessings. And then from Rimmel, I was, uh, as I said, headhunted by Shearing Plough, who were, um, wanted to grow, uh, just recently acquired and then wanted to grow the Rimmel brand. Again, I, I moved from National Accounts, as I said earlier, up to Sales and Distribution Director, had a great time. And then in my final year there, I was courted by Esther Lauder to join them as uh, UK Sales Director. Okay. Um, I joined on the first working day in January and left the last working day of that year because halfway through that year, I'd been approached by Bourgeois, which was owned by Chanel, to turn their brand around because every health indicator was pointing downwards and there was a major job to be done to get the brand back where it should have been. Um, so I'm probably one of the, the only person who's probably stayed at Lauder exactly one year and left of their own accord. Um, <laughs> working from Lauder was great as well. I mean, I, I learned so much from them about um, the department store and premium business. And um, But I'd, 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 I'd always been a great admirer of the bourgeois brand, which has now sadly come out of the UK. It was bought by Coty about three years ago. And it, you know, I, I saw it launch and it launched extremely well. And then just saw it sort of, you know, gradually disappearing. Um, so the challenge of turning it around was, was you know, too good not to take, really. Yeah. No, I can understand that. When you were, um, so when you were doing the business degree and then you, the opportunity came up at Kimberly Clark, I'm just trying to follow the process. That was really exciting because it was more of a marketing role. Yes, it, well, I had to join as a graduate trainee. Yeah. 
I think, you know, I don't know if you still have to do that, but in those days, and you had to spend a period of time in the sales force as well, which I also loved. I mean, again, yeah. you know, it was a great experience. So it was a mixture of both, but I never saw it as being long-term. I always thought that Revlon sounded much more glamorous than, you know, uh, kitchen towels and so on. So, yeah, sure. um, so then, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's really what made that decision. And then the role at um, Revlon, then Rimmel, then Estee Lauder was sales roles. Was, was that still marketing at all or was it pure yeah there, i mean at, at, at rimmel particularly I, I you know i was part of the management board and so therefore i had a lot of involvement in marketing and you know developing trade marketing plans that has to align very closely to the brand so marketing plan so yeah i mean it's um yeah and then with bourgeois that was really the first that was my first general management role where i was responsible for everything sure um but yeah, you're right. I mean, it was primarily sales, but that was because, you know, I, I probably had an uh, um, aptitude for it and never found it, you know, I found it easy to move up each yeah. time. And you didn't have an, like, an empty void missing marketing because you still had a little bit of marketing involved yeah, and you were I just loving sales that much. No, I mean, I've always thought, uh, you know, this may sound crazy, that whatever job I've done, I've always think it's the best job anyone could ever have. <laughs> you know, I'm I've the same. Made, yeah. I've made complaints, really. You know, I feel, um, yeah, it's always been that way. You know, when I was at Rimmel, I thought I had the best job ever. Revlon, whatever role I was doing, I thought was the best job ever. So, um, What yeah. a feeling that is. That's brilliant. Yeah. Did you have, were there, um, especially when, I suppose, when you went to um, Kimberly Clark and then Revlon, you said uh, Revlon, the MD, was taking an interest in the performance, but did you have any standout mentors during yes. this period leading up to now? Yeah, I have had. Um, I mean, a, a person who had an immense impact on me was a lady called Mary Brogan, who was the buyer at Selfridges. Okay. A long, long time ago when I was running the West End for Selfridges and there was, um, you know, that, that was such a highly visible and political um, role. And Mary was the um, buyer at Selfridges and, um, you know, she taught me always to trust my gut instinct and to aim high. And um, I, I never forget, she used to carry a clipboard with a, a sheet of paper in it, walk the floor always writing down notes. And when she got back to her office, she had a file for every brand. She tore out the piece of paper, stuck it in the file. And I said to her, why do you do that? And she said, I never forget anything. You know, I don't have to think about it now. When that file comes out, that note will be ready for me. And I just thought that's such a great way of organizing, you know, a, a complex and what needs to be detail-oriented business. And, you know, even in practical terms, she influenced, you know, my way of thinking. Um, so that was one. Um, I've got a long-standing mentor and a guy who's a friend, a, a guy called John Penn, who was um, managing director of, and owned a point-of-sale display company. And he certainly proved to be a great mentor throughout my career. Um, and my dad, because my dad was, you know, has always been an entrepreneur. Yeah. So and you... I bet, you know, mentors are very, very important. Um, I've always been a great believer in executive coaching as well, which I've used both for myself and my team. So, yeah, I think, you, you know, at times you need all that outside help you can get. That's are you right. involved in that yourself? Or do you yeah, I used to, I have done it. Yeah, I have. And we do, we do occasionally do mentoring programs at the Red Tree. But um, I've acted as an official mentor uh, to people on a number of occasions, yeah. And do you, someone uh, was contacting me, like a peer-to-peer -peer mentoring group, do you get a lot of satisfaction out of doing that? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, I do. So where did Selfridges feature in the the lineup? Um, well, it only featured as long as I was at um, Lauder. So, ah. I mean, I was sales director of Lauder and... Uh, as I mentioned earlier, stayed there for one year, and uh, so, you, so you got so Mary was essentially a customer of yours, but yeah, was Mary was sorry, yeah, Mary was a customer of mine when I was at Revlon. So okay, really early on in my career. Okay, amazing, and and she was helping you from that moment, or you got back in touch later on? No, 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 she only helped me through that time. I mean, I think I'm not even sure if she's still alive now. I know she had some. 
um, health issues a number of years ago. But, you know, I think when you were, I, I'm just trying to think how old I must have been, um, probably late 20s. Um, working with someone like her was, you know, just the, the way, um, if she felt in her gut to back a particular product offer or promotion, she would make sure it was implemented and run to 150% of what it could be. And that's another thing, you know, if you're going to do something, you do it really well. If you're going to back something, you back it big. So, you know, they're, they're all things from that time, really. I probably, you know, saying I don't even know if I've ever thanked her for all of that. So I should have done. Um, I think I might have done in an email or a card when she retired. So, oh, OK. Yeah. It's funny how you come across mentors and you, sometimes you don't even realise it at the time when you're looking back. I, um, I, I had a, um, a customer of mine. This is going back, a, I don't know. 15 years now I think and they played a big part it felt like the business I was at at the time where they were just so busy with everything that we were doing yeah going out and seeing a customer and sitting down and having a coffee and lunch you had a lot more time to actually talk about other things and that that played a big part in in my life that was insane with regard to um trusting your gut instincts is that something you do all the time now most of the time yeah I still have that um yeah, I do. I, I think I probably do that most of the time and it helps in my decision-making process. If something doesn't feel, I mean, there's, there's things I've done that haven't felt right that I've, you know, badly regretted in my career. <laughs> like yeah. all of us, I think, you know, because and you kick um, after Bourgeois, I set up my own company and I was approached by investors to set up the business so that we could make a major acquisition and the way the funds were raised, we floated the business on what was then the alternative investment market, AIM. I think it still is. And we raised about two and a half million pounds so we could make the acquisition. But I knew from even before we made the acquisition that it was the wrong thing to do. But you sort of, you're on a fast moving train, you can't get off. And that whole episode taught me that, um, you know, you, you, uh, I still have to listen to my gut feel, really do. There's no question about it. Yeah. And there, is there still times, though, when, despite all your experiences and you know the importance of listening to your gut, sometimes you do still make a... You think you're being no, a bit more I, rational? I, I or that you... way, really. I think, well, well, I don't know. I, um, I mean, that whole episode of floating the, the, a business was... Well, that was, you know, difficult. I learned a lot from it. And, you know, not everybody can say they've done that because when you're floating a business on the alternative investment market, you have to deal with stockbrokers, nomads, nominated advisors. And to be honest, they don't give a toss about brands, which what we were about, they just give a toss of, you know, how much money are we going to get back and when sure. and what's the exit and so on. So it taught me a great deal. And we ended up... Um, to complete the deal, we had to take some short-term financing for an American investment fund. And we did the deal and it was all okay. Um, but within about two weeks, the recession that, that started in 2006 hit us really hard, or 2008 hit us really hard. And after about a year, we knew that we couldn't pay this amount back. And so I think for the only time ever in my life, I had sleepless nights for about a month because I feared what was gonna happen. And when I went to see them, which was bang in the middle of the recession, um, you know, to say to them, look, we can't pay this back. So, you, you know, you're going to have to decide what to do. They said to me, your problems are like small change in our pocket. We have got millions upon millions backing other businesses. You know, your £800,000 is the small change. So we give you as long as you want. You go back and solve how we're going to get the money back. But there is no rush. I came out of that and I thought, why on earth did I worry? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, so, but going back to your question, all the way through, I made the wrong decision, didn't listen to my gut. And it's like, I suppose like if you're putting a screw into place, if you twist it and it's pointing downwards instead of horizontal, the only way you can solve it is to undo it all and take it out. Yeah, you can't keep on press, you know. So you can't keep on screwing it down because it misses, you know, what you want it to do. And I should have stopped that whole process long before it ended, but I didn't. Yeah, I, it's hard when you've got that momentum flying along with something, and you're yeah. just you're not feeling it, but you feel like you're too far down the road to actually do. Yeah, something. and everybody's depending on you to make money yeah. out of it and wants to see it grow. 
but you know it was a complete disaster from the beginning to the end not sorry that's terrible to say it wasn't a complete disaster it was um putting a positive spin on it it was a valuable learning experience yeah and do you, when the um where you you were talking about having a chat with them when you were having those sleepless nights and in your head you'd build it up to be something crazy and it didn't turn out to be that bad. Have you had many experiences of that before? No, that was the only one, thank really? you. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And where did you, so where did you, when, what happened after Chanel? Well, that's, so after Chanel, we I sent my own company up, which was the, the episode I've been telling you about. And then um, during that time while I was, doing all this work on the AIM listed company. I was also approached to do lots of consultancy projects. We did a project for Boots, developed a couple of brands. And I just thought, you know, this is really enjoyable. I like it. I work with a wide mix of people. They listen. Um, it's, you know, we're contributing to someone else's success, which is a nice purpose to have. And so once the, um, uh, the AIM deal got settled amicably, which it did. We found the company to purchase us and everything worked out well. Um, I just thought I can build something here and that's what I've done ever since. And we celebrated our 10th anniversary last week um, for the Red Tree. So it's been good. And there were, so throughout your career, literally from leaving university to then the acquisition piece and the consultancy, there was... You, there's never been like a, a moment during that period where you thought I can't work for other people anymore. I'm going to set up myself. Yeah. It's just been oh, no, organic. I did have, have that. Towards the end of my days at Bourgeois, I was there about 10 years. Towards the end of my, my days at Bourgeois, I can remember um, going to a conference in Brittany in France, which was where Bourgeois used to have its annual conference. And I, it overlooked the sea and I was sitting in a room and there was beautiful sunshine, um, beautiful beach full of restaurants and people. And I'm sitting in this room. Um, and at the time I ran the UK and every market had to present its plans and its business. So each of, of which there were 20 markets. So it took two days. I have to tell you after the fifth one, I just thought I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I can't handle this anymore. I yeah. need, something you know far more than that and really that was the day that set in motion you know the the means to to have my own business and did you know what that looked like or no i knew it was going to be something in beauty i knew it was going to be something to do with brands um no i had quite an open mind i wasn't 100 percent sure but i knew i needed to do that and i left corporate life i think on my well i can't remember about 48th birthday something like that or 49th birthday Okay. Wow. And, did, uh, and, and uh, with no regrets, really, you know, I often think now, you know, it'd been great if I had done that, what, what, you know, set up the red tree 10 years earlier, but sure. what is, is you can't change it. So, you know, and maybe 10 years before that, it wouldn't have been as successful as it's been. It's another 10 years experience, which is yeah. even more diverse, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And when, so when you were thinking, I definitely want to do something on my own now, was it on your own? Or yeah, I did you... start on my own. Yeah, I did. Um, but I had very good contacts. So, you know, I was very quickly talking to people. I was approached by people. And I was approached um, by a, a mutual friend of an investor um, to set up, you know, this company to make an acquisition. And so that's the path I initially followed. The company being the Red Tree. So what is the Red Tree? Oh, that company then was called the Core Business. So that was a dish. Oh, that okay. Was acquired, yeah. Okay. And then after that didn't work, I set up the Red Tree, which was over 10 years ago now. Oh, okay. Oh, so I, I did just jump the gun and miss yeah. a little bit. So what was the other company? Called the Core Business. Okay. And what was that business doing? It was both, it was taking brands that the acquisition uh, had and creating our own brands and selling them into people like Superdrag, Adsta, um, the pharmacy sector and so on. Okay. And, and that didn't work out? No, it didn't work out because um, we raised the capital to make it happen, which I mentioned sure. earlier, which included this £800,000 sum from an investment company. But, the, you know, it, it, as soon as we completed the deal, the recession hit. Um, and, it, you know, trading was very, very tough. 
we brought in a lot of brands from Europe. And at that time, we were getting 1.4 euros to the pound. It's now parity. We were bringing brands in from Australia. I think we used to get, I can't remember, maybe $2.5 to the pound. It went down to $1, something like that. You know, so it, it went down to, yeah. I mean, so, you know, we got hurt very badly by that um, recession. And that's and when, when, you know, but, sorry, gone. And then when that, the call that you had with the guys and you were saying, and that you were just pocket change, this 800,000 pounds. face to face meeting. I thought I could have been set about with a baseball bat. I was a face to face. Excellent. I find they're always the better ones to have if you think they're going to be a bad conversation, actually, yeah. rather than a phone call or definitely not an email. I think these kind of calls will help a lot more in the future, actually, with that sort of stuff. But so go away and you've just got all the time in the world to find it. Did you find it? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, as I said earlier, when I was running that aim listed company, I was approached to do lots of consultancy projects. So I think, you know, almost the, it, it was just a natural transition. You know, I, I don't even think I had a week's break. The aim listed company, which was the core business, um, was taken over by another company that wanted a list on aim very quickly. Um, they were into oil and we were into lipsticks and the American investment <laughs> company thought they had much better chance of getting their money back with an oil company than they ever would with a lipstick company. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, no, there was, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't, um, wait too long to get back into things. No, you know, I, I think I'd set the red tree up. I, I originally set up Sterling Murray associates probably 12, 13 years ago. And then the red tree, um, just, we just celebrated 10 years. Okay. And so, and you weren't put off from what happened with the, no. with the, the other one beforehand. You no, thought it just what didn't no. work out because of the recession, because yeah. of timings and yeah, I didn't No, I didn't worry about that at all, but it wasn't quite the same business. It was very different. Um, yeah. So what is it? The red tree do. Sterling? So the red tree of the UK's leading beauty brand consultancy. We work with, we do two things. The first is consultancy with a very wide mix of clients, more than part, more than 70% of our turnover is with international clients. And we, um, work with from well-funded stock, um, startups to major businesses. We do a lot of work with private equity companies on due diligence, uh, brand evaluation, managing some of their brands. And we work on market entry strategy, um, <clears throat> um, we would look at, you know, uh, developing brand uh, marketing and communication strategy for clients and so on. So we've got a, a very wide, I mean, almost a 360 degree um, offer in consultancy. We cover every category, skin, hair, color cosmetics, male grooming, fragrance, personal care, and so on. And we've got a very strong team, um, a small but very lean and, and, and strong team. Um, yeah, and it's been very, very good. In 10 years, we've probably worked with more than, probably not far short of 100 clients. Okay. Um, across all continents, except South America and obviously Antarctica. So we've had clients in Africa, Australia. I mean, we, we've worked with clients in more than 20 markets. Are they longevity? Have you, is there any clients that you worked with 10 years ago that you're still working with now? Yeah, there's clients that we've worked with um, that we, you know, come back to us for particular projects and, you know, we, we could, with one of those clients, we've done four or five projects over five or six years with other clients. We work on a retained basis and some of those clients we've worked with for seven years. So one of the things that's important to me is to build long-term relationships with our clients mm -hmm. and we do our very best to make sure that happens. Okay. When you were describing the three, the services you offer, yeah. at, um, the red tree is 360. It sounded like you were definitely describing every element of your experience that you had. So it kind of ticks all the boxes. Yeah, what you were doing. It's very true. Um, so I can imagine when you were first starting it out, when it was just you and you were, you were owning it all and being, you've got a load of confidence in your own ability. How, how has it been growing the team? Are you the one that still does all of that and you've got more admin? No, support? I mean, we've got, um, my, my, I, I started the business at the same time as virtual secretaries were also coming into vogue as well. Uh -huh. 
Um, so I employed a, a virtual secretary very quickly and found that after about a year, I was paying her more than if I took on my own person. So that was the first recruitment, probably within about a year. And gradually, the team's been built up since then. We recruited... Is that um, Michelle, by the way? Yeah. Mich well, no, Michelle was the second, uh, was my second PA. Okay. And I can tell you, every business needs a Michelle. I mean, she just takes care of everything. I don't yeah, she seems like, like when we've been organizing this, she's been really yeah. helpful, hasn't she? Yeah, she's um, brilliant. So... Um, She's been with me four, five years. Okay. Um, another lady we took on three years, celebrates three years is Friday, who is um, one of our project managers um, and so on. So, you know, I've got, I've got a very good team, very loyal team. And yeah, it, it's just been step by step as there's a need arisen. We've recruited somebody. Our latest recruit is a very bright lady who is um, a specialist in social and digital. Oh, okay. And, you know, she is just bringing new things to the business that, to be quite frank, I didn't even know existed. You know, because it, that is such a fast-moving area. You need somebody who can not only do it for us, so our manner and level of communication has increased tremendously, but can, you know, by virtue of the fact it works for us, I can sell it very positively to clients. Yeah. Because I know it works for us, it can work for them. And so are you... Do you still tend to be the the front man? Are you still the one I having these? I mean, that's you know that's why I got rid of the name Sterling Murray Associates. I don't want it to be about me. Um, my son works in the business. He's been in the business two years, so there's some degree of succession planning. Okay. And yeah, I mean, we you know uh, for me, it's always the red tree. It's not Sterling Murray. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. Have you had any challenges while be while? Well, as part of the red tree, has there been any? Um, I mean, every client is is a challenge, you know, and for us, um, our purpose, as I said earlier, is to contribute to their success. Um, you know, there's been one or two occasions where it hasn't happened in the way that perhaps we thought it done, but they've been few and far between. You know, we've got, our clients, you know, are delightful. I mean, there's, um, and for us, that, that chemistry is very important. There's two criteria that we apply when we accept a client. And that sounds a bit like a lack of humility. It's not meant to be. But we are approached about more projects than we can actually handle. It's just the way it is. Uh -huh. and, and part of that is down to you know, our marketing, which doesn't stop. We are reaching out all the time. And our networking grows continually. Um, but you know, if there's no chemistry between us and the client, or we don't believe in the power of the product, then there's no point in taking them on as a client. And I, I, I did once do that, and it was obvious after three weeks that we made a terrible mistake. And so um, I'll never do that again. And you did know, you have we, that gut feeling at the beginning yeah, of that one? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I think when you were talking at the beginning about um, sales kind of coming easy to you and you just like these relationships. I think that makes it even harder. How is it you, it's something I previously or well, still do struggle with because I genuinely like helping people as much as possible. Um, and when you sometimes feel it's not the right fit, it, it's hard. How do you, and I get it's the humility and that's how I try and really tread with care with it because it, it, you don't want it to be this ego damaging relationship either. How do you say no to people when you, look, you know, it may well be that um, we, you know, our fee structure, for example, we can sense our fee structure may be too high for them. You know, just like your cost of goods may be too high for them. We would then, you know, either recommend them to someone else. Uh, well, no, probably that is exactly what we would do. We know other people who may be able to help them at a lower rate than we would be able to. So that could be one way. Another, you know, we often see brands that, you know, in the nicest possible way, quite frankly, have no chance, no chance whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. And I'd rather be honest with the person and say, you know, this isn't going to work. You know, you need to go back to the drawing board. You know, they can take that in the way it's intended or they can take that badly. But, you know, I, I feel an obligation to tell them the truth. You know, and very occasionally we've met with people who there is just not going to be the chemistry. And that is a recipe for disaster. And I have to say it very gently because, you know, very often someone will come to us with, um, 
you know, their brand, a brand that they've sweated hard to get to the point of where it's at. And it's like a, you know, it's like a newborn baby. You can't say to them, you know, your brand is ugly. Sure. You can't do that. And so we, we do it, you know, I think as well as we can. That chemistry thing, I think is extremely powerful. The, and, and it's really not that personal, is it? But sometimes you really click with people. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you might not click, but you can see there's a good synergy yeah. still. But other times in your gut feel, it's, something's just not right and you're not feeling it. Yeah, um, and no, exactly. And um, yeah, we had that, you know, and it's, it doesn't happen often, but it, you know, I've learned that if you take on a project and neither of those things are there, either believe in the product or believe in the person, you're going to end up in trouble. Yeah. Uh, from both points of view. And it's better not to proceed. And it doesn't mean that there's not someone else out there for them, does it? No, where exactly. it's going to work and there is the chemistry. Yeah. And we recommend, you know, we've got two or three people um, that, you know, we have no problem in recommending because I know they do a good job, but it may be that, you know, they're a bit more, uh, they may be less expensive than us. They may be a bit more finely tuned to what the client really needs. They're, you know, but we, we never recommend them to somebody we wouldn't trust. You know, we would always, and very often, you know, when we do that, I get, you know, lovely emails back from the person who, um, you know, we've, we've recommended onto one of our contacts and they're grateful for it. So, you know, it's the right way to do it. Yeah, I think the recommendations definitely the route to go down and just that honesty. We, yeah. try, we try to make recommendations as much as possible. Yeah, um, we do that. We do do that. Have you, do, you, is there, do you have an ideal client you look at or, or is you really take everything at face value and, and have um, a meeting with as many people as you can? Yeah, no, I would say, I mean, we have, you know, we get approached by, in the nicest possible way, a lot of dreamers who you know, want to develop a brand, really have no clue. Um, we, and we will always talk to them. And we, we talk to them through, you know, we have a filter system. So Michelle will talk to them first and evaluate whether it's worth continuing. One of our team, Simon, will talk to them next. And then if, you know, there is a real sense that this is something quite right, but perhaps the person isn't expressing it properly or is unable to articulate their vision, then I would talk to them and then we decide whether you know, a meeting is right from for both points of view. Because if it's not worthwhile, it does do us harm. It does them harm as well. And so, you know, we try and make sure that anything we're talking to, anybody we're talking to is right for the business. What's been the best thing throughout your whole career? What's been the most enjoyable? Oh, that's so difficult to really answer because I've had so much, you know, I've, I've enjoyed everything so much. Um, I'm very proud of what we've done in uh, with the Red Tree because you know our, the the caliber of clients we have, some of the projects we've worked on have been quite amazing. So I'm proud that we've built that up to something, and I still think there's huge potential to make it bigger. I love my time at Bourgeois. Um, you know, turned the brand round with uh, a, a team that I thought were the reason why the business was pointing. You know, was failing badly. It really wasn't the team. It was much more uh, the lack of direction the team had. And so that I was very proud of that. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many great moments. It's difficult to really pick more than, you know, to, to, I, I wouldn't be able to pick them all. They're just all very different. Really yeah, good. all very different and all really good. So in regards to um, turning a team around, um, are you, if, it was le if, if they were struggling with, like, direction and leadership, are you quite good at... Um, Clearly, the leadership piece is a is a given. With the strategy side, does that come naturally to you as well? Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, and it's not. Um, yeah, I. You know, I. It, it it can do, and I. You know, I love to get other people involved. So you know, I'm not the font of all knowledge, really. You know, if we're doing something, I will ask my team. Um, yeah, we. You know, we have uh, once a quarter. You know, sort of a breakout session where we, you know, look at what we're doing, how we can improve things, and you know, it's the team that that make that work really. So, yeah, I. Um, you know, if I, if I lead people, I lead people by how I like to be managed, and I'm, you know, in my corporate career, which was, you know, nearly twenty seven years, I think. You know, I hated if I had a. Um, 
a manager who was sitting on my shoulder watching everything I do. I, you know, I trust people. I like to be trusted. And, you know, therefore, I think if you were to ask anybody that has ever worked for me in any role, they would tell you that, um, you know, they have a lot of autonomy. But, you know, I also expect standards as well. And, um, you know, that that's more true than anything in the red tree. You know, if we say we're going to do something, we we do it. If we say we're going to deliver on a time, we should do that. Sure. Um, and so on. So, you know, I, I'm very, very firm in standards. I, you know, I would tell people the truth if there's something not right. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, that once that's done, then we move on to the next thing. So, you know, that's the way I've always worked. And that's the way, you know, when I was in corporate life, I like to be managed. Yeah. No, I think integrity is key and that trust yeah. is massive. Um, with regards to the the piece you were talking about with the filter uh, with brands inquiring to work with you now uh, when it was just you you were obviously doing um the filtering yourself and you're making those calls and now you rely on um starting with michelle and it and it passing on and passing on at what point did that flip was it just as you started recruiting so because no, i you, it, um about Two years ago, we were, there's an event, uh, which I think has now run its course, but two years ago, there was an event organized by uh, Kiasco, who are conference organizers, called Beauty and Money. Okay. Beauty and Money was about bringing um, brands together with potential investors and, you know, that kind of community and so on. And we attended one of the first ones they had, which was in San Francisco. And so we were an exhibitor, or rather a sponsor. We had our own sort of area. Um, the amount of kudos and the amount of contacts that gave us was quite unbelievable. And the consequence of that was we were getting more replies than we could cope with. Yeah, okay. And, you know, I was spending all my time writing out, you know, because we didn't put in place this filtering process. I was spending a hell of a lot of my time writing out proposals that had no chance of ever being accepted or approved uh, because you know the people were were just at not the level and I just thought you know that can't go continue we need to be far more selective who we send proposals to we need to filter out those people who are in the nicest possible way time wasters or dreamers yeah and then pass them on so, you know, yeah, yeah we just set that up them. really you know maximize time really yeah and do you as the as the founder and obviously the fate despite it not being your name everyone you're just synonymous with the red tree aren't you so if anyone wants to speak to i'd imagine your name gets thrown around a lot and people tell people to go and speak to the sterling at the red tree yeah, yeah. Um, and you know look that that's just because i've been in the industry a long time and i've worked you know um across different markets and so people um pick up my name you know it's an unusual name anyway so they don't tend to forget it yeah. um, dan dan williams on the other hand yeah, i don't tend to have that yeah. problem <laughs> i think everyone knows that dan williams but yeah. so if you're getting called directly or emailed directly how uh, do you find it easy now passing them on to michelle yes or? yeah totally i do i don't have a problem with that at all okay and, you know, I explain it very nicely in the email as well. You know, I've also had, I mean, we have a particular manner or rather a step-by-step -step approach, you know, before we send the proposal. We go through these steps that, you know, I've already spoken about the filtering yeah. steps. We also go through questioning steps as well. So invariably, we'll have spoken to a potential client probably from the initial contact to when we send the proposal off four or five times. Okay. If a client after our first meeting says, I want a proposal, you know, I like it now, we say, well, no, there's a lot more questions we have to ask. You should be asking us a lot more questions. We need to go away and think about what both of us have thought. And, you know, we've had one or two potential clients who said, no, I want a proposal now. And we won't do it because it won't go, it, it will be wrong. You know, you can't do a proposal on an hour's meeting or an hour and a half's meeting. No, I completely you agree. Know, it's, it's important that, the chemistry is there, the understanding is there, and most, you know, 99% of people value that step-by-step -step approach. Um, That's good you know, the 1% that doesn't isn't the kind of client we're gonna want anyway. So, you know, we, yeah, we, try and, we try and do it that way. I guess you must be much the same. 
to be quite honest, it's um, it's something I wrestle with, especially um, joining the business originally as the the sales director. Obviously, I've got all the relationships, and now going into the manager director role, it's still a lot of people contact me. Yeah, and I like having that contact, but so no, on a on a purely selfish level, I was just very intrigued to see how you handle it. Um, but for me, I, I completely agree. From I think people need to see things slightly different because although if you were investing money, you would take your time and you'd be asking a lot of questions. Yeah. And essentially, your time is if not more valuable than that, and you could put a price on it if you if you wanted to calculate salary and the amount of time you you take doing it. So for me, it's um, it's a it's it's your, it's an own form of due diligence, isn't it? And yeah, I'm when we're now asking these questions, it isn't purely on our basis. We we really want to make sure that the brands that are approaching us to work with us, they're making the right decision because essentially we may be wrong for them, not just yeah, vice exactly, versa. Totally agree. Yeah, I fully agree with you. And yeah. you know, we, we, that will be part of the conversation you know um we we consider ourselves to be one of the best consultancies and um, not just in the uk but you know in a number of, of european markets and and there's only there's probably a few companies that do what we do in the us but you know if you if you consider yourself the best your pricing is going to be towards the top end yep. and that's not for everybody and you know we understand that and therefore um you know, you have to you have to be aware that, you know, what I would say the one of the lessons I've learned about beauty, and you probably know the same, you know, if you're going to compete in beauty, you have to invest. There is no question, even from the very basic level in, you know, producing product is an investment. But that's only the tip of the iceberg, you know, and we, you know, it's always important for us to make sure that is clearly known to any potential clients. And, you know, that's another filter step. If a client hasn't got, you know, didn't know that, or has only got, you know, very limited funds and has no meaning anymore, rather they don't waste their money. You know, I, I don't want to be in a position where we're taking that money and then they run out very quickly. There's just no moral value in doing that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, we make it very, very clear, you know, invest, the UK or beauty particularly is an investment intensive business. And I read a great quote somewhere from somebody or the other, an American guy who, who made his fortune in one business sector came into beauty and he, you know, his point of view is that the beauty business is a grind out business. It takes time. It really does. You know, and when, you know, the success stories we read about like drunk elephant being sold for a fortune, um, Dollar Shave Club, um, Elemis, and all of those, they are the exceptions. There are so many brands that fall by the wayside. Yeah. And you have to make sure that people's eyes are open to, you know, the chance of failure as much as the chance of success. Yeah, most definitely. Going that um, With regards to them investing in cash flow, it's something we consider really carefully. One of the questions I often talk with the, with the brands about is, Similar to your pricing, we talk about minimum order quantities and things yeah. like that. Of course. And our sense to start at 5,000. And when you get some feedback from people, like, well, I think I could stretch to that. Straight away for me, that's uh, alarm bells. And so much that I don't want people to be tying their cash flow up with stocks sat in a warehouse for a long, long time. So they'd be much more suited to working with a, a smaller manufacturer where they can yeah, be ordering 1,000 or 2,000 units. Yeah. Just keep the stock and the cash turning a little bit quicker rather than so. working. But ultimately, it's their, it's their decision at the end of the day. But we just try, or I do um, massively try and put myself in their shoes all the time, which is why um, I'm not as good as listening to my gut all the time as you because I've just always got this niggling urge to help people, even when sometimes deep inside I think I'm not the person really to be helping them right yeah. now. I def desperately try and help them. I need to get better at that because the only people that really suffer are the team around me. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I understand. But yeah, there's that. But um, that's been great, Sterling. You're welcome. Great talking to you. It's been fascinating. It's been a long time coming, actually, isn't it? Yeah. From, yeah. Uh, I, first yeah. engaging. I'm really pleased to be here. And um, 
Um, I explained to my team about pocket mentors. They thought it was a great idea. So as I said to you, you should be writing a book. Take the best from each. <laughs> yeah, funny. That's the second person today that's actually mentioned mentioned um, doing a book. It, it, again, this comes back to me just wanting to help, actually. I just knew that there's a lot of people that can give a lot of advice. Yeah. And even just sharing stories helps people realize that they're not in this alone. It's not unique to them and all these challenges that everyone's facing. And um, well, we've run, a, we've run a couple of um, free sort of webinars um, over the last couple of weeks. The first one, we pulled together some really good people like uh, Millie Kendall, um, a, a lady called Kate Zero, who is a FTSE 100 coach and so on, just to talk about how to cope with what is happening. Yeah. Oh, we then yeah. ran a couple of weeks ago about how to get the best out of social and, and digital. Um, had, I think, about 100 attendees at the first one and about 60 at the second. And we'll wow. run another one because, you know, it's nice to give something back, really, you know, and I think um, where we can help people, I'm only too happy to do so. And, you know, we we often get uh, old clients calling us who, you know, just want to spend half an hour chatting on the phone about things they want to do. Yeah. Or we get, you know, people that haven't been clients, but we felt a particular affinity to you know, and, and so we maintain contact with them. And many of those have been on the phone over the last six weeks saying, you know, should we do this? Should we do that? You know, and, you know, we never, you know, we enjoy doing that. It's never considered um, the wrong thing to do or anything like that. So, you, ha you know, you, you, you reach a point where you do have to give back as well. So, you know, we're into that in as big a way as we can be. Yeah, amazing. And how do people hear about the webinars and get in touch with the Red Tree? What's the best um, We push it out on LinkedIn. We push it out on social media and we push it out through our database. Okay. Perfect. So um, we'll invite yeah. you to the next one. You can come with pleasure. Yeah, that'd be great. So that people can just go onto social media and look at the Red Tree. Yeah, we do it. Yeah, we'll, um, I'll make sure we, you know, we, I'm sure you must be on our database anyway, but if not, I'll put, make sure you are. And we just mail out. I mean, I'm doing one tomorrow with Millie Kendall for an American company about the state of beauty in the UK. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we're, you know, we're doing lots of those things. And it's interesting. We probably should have done more of them. We, we didn't, you know, and this has prompted us to think that these kind of things are important for people who want to enter beauty, making the transition from another sector into beauty, or, you know, just really want to hear and take comfort in that other people have the same problems. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. I think so really I think helpful. you know that was a lesson learned from us. We're going to be doing more of those kind of activities. Yeah, that's great. I think a lot more people are doing things like that now. And I think yeah. actually, strangely enough, it will probably help the whole vetting process for companies anyway, because yes. it's giving people a little bit more food for thought before they make that big leap. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. No, great. Well, I won't take up any more of your time, so I think that's been a, a, honestly it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been great. To My pleasure. It's been great. Perfect. Yeah. Thanks very okay. much. Okay. Once all this is over, we must meet up then. Yeah, most definitely. No, that'll be good. Find a way of doing that. Okay. Yeah. That's great. All right. Thank See you. Take good care.